This episode of Diffusion Science Radio is supported by you, the listener, when you visit audibletrial.com science. To try Audible for free, on trial for 30 days. Go to www.audibletrial.com science to receive your free audiobook today. Diffusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, I spoke with Ben Moir about Thunderwear, Navigate jackets and football jerseys that make you feel like you're part of the game. But first up, here's the news. Cool it. New Scientist reports that suspended animation gets its first human trials this year in American hospitals. Victims of gunshot and knife wounds who would normally be declared dead on arrival will be cooled down to 10 degrees Celsius in minutes. The surgeons will then have two hours to repair their wounds before warming them up again and restarting their hearts. Nearly all a patient's blood is rapidly replaced with cold saline solution because bathing them in ice doesn't cool them down quickly enough. It's been known for decades that cooling the body down reduces the damage suffered from a lack of oxygen, whether that's from drowning or blood loss, and increases the chance of reviving someone who would otherwise die. Usually, gunshot or knife wound victims bleed too quickly to survive for more than a few minutes, which is too short a time to repair the damage, and they die. Even if you're able to staunch the blood flow, the loss of oxygen does irreversible damage to your cells, particularly in the brain, in less than five minutes. Unless you rapidly cool them down. At the UPMC Presbyterian Hospital in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where it's being trialled, they call it emergency preservation and resuscitation. The technique was first tried in pigs in 2002 by Hassan Alam at the University of Michigan Hospital in Ann Arbor. The animals were sedated and a massive hemorrhage induced to mimic the effect of multiple gunshot wounds. The blood was drained and replaced by a cold saline solution rapidly cooling the body to around 10 degrees C. After the injuries were treated, the animals were gradually warmed up as the solution was replaced with blood. The pig's heart usually started beating again by itself, although some pigs needed a jump start. There was no measurable effect on physical or cognitive function. The 2002 paper was presented at the Society for University Surgeons and titled Learning and Memory is Preserved After Induced a Sanguinous Hyperkalemic Hypothermic Arrest in a Swine Model of Traumatic Exsanguination. For the last 13 years, co-researcher Peter Rees has been frustrated by knowing that this technique could save people he was having to declare dead because it hadn't been approved for human trials. The first test subjects will have lost 50% of their blood in a traumatic injury and their heart will have stopped. The team will see about one of these cases per month and previously the patient only had a 7% chance of survival. 
This time, the patient will have their blood replaced with cold saline and be rapidly cooled in under 10 minutes, giving surgeons two hours to repair the damage and then return their blood and restart their heart. Because the trial will happen during a medical emergency, there's no chance to ask anyone for consent. The trial can only go ahead because the US Food and Drug Administration considers it to be exempt from informed consent laws. That's because it will involve people whose injuries are likely to be fatal and there's no alternative treatment. The team had to have discussions with groups in the community and place ads in newspapers describing the trial. People can choose to opt out online, which forces doctors to consult the database before they can call a team to start trying to cool the patient down. So far, nobody's opted out. Would you opt out of an experimental procedure for an emergency treatment? Or is opt-in the only fair way? Changing fonts could save hundreds of millions of dollars. CNN reports an American schoolboy has worked out how to save a lot of ink and therefore a lot of money. 14-year-old Suveer Michandani, in 6th grade at Dorseyville Middle School, for his science fair, he wanted to minimise the amount of paper and ink handed out at his school. The paper side had already been optimised with recycling and double-sided printing, but Suveer realised that ink is the most expensive thing. Ink is more than twice as expensive as classy French perfume. He collected samples of teachers' handouts, concentrating on the most commonly used characters, E, T, A, O and R. He charted how often each character was used in four different typefaces. Garamond, Times New Roman, Century Gothic and Comic Sans. He measured how much ink was used for each letter, using a commercial tool called APFill, ink coverage software. Next he enlarged the letters, printed them and cut them out on cardstock paper to weigh them so as to verify his findings in the real world. He did three trials for each letter, graphing the ink usage for each font. Suvir concluded that by switching to using the Garamond font, which has the thinnest strokes to its letters, his school could save 24% of the costs of printing, while still printing understandable things. This would save the school district $21,000 every year in reduced ink costs. Suvir published his findings in the Journal for Emerging Investigators, JEI a journal for school-age scientists that's reviewed by university graduate students and academics. He published his paper as The Effect of Font Type on a School's Ink Cost. The reviewers at JEI were so impressed that they asked Suvir to start another study, this time to apply his findings to the US federal government. How much money could the American government save by changing fonts? The US federal government currently spends $1.8 billion on printing every year. He repeated his tests on pages taken from the US government printing office website and found again that changing the font would save large amounts of money. The General Services Administration spends $467 million on ink every year and Suver found they could save 30% of that by changing their default font from Times New Roman to Garamond. His school would only save 24% but the government could save 30%. That's a savings of $136 million a year just by changing fonts. An extra $234 million could be saved if the US state governments also changed their fonts. He published his paper in the Journal for Emerging Investigators under the title A Simple Printing Solution to Aid Deficit Reduction. 
CNN reports that a representative from the American government printing office said Suvir's work was remarkable, but he was uninterested in acting on the information. He explained that the government printing office is concentrating their efforts on using less paper by making information available on the web. That's a very environmentally beneficial project, but it doesn't need to exclude also using less ink. After all, using less ink is also environmentally friendly. Suver makes the point that not only can schools and governments save money by switching fonts, but people at home. You can download the font for free at garamond.org. I'll link to Suver's papers from the show notes page on diffusionradio.com. listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. This week I went back to the Wearables Sydney meetup, where this month's speaker was Ben Moi. Ben Moi is the director of Wearable Experiments, making fashionable clothes that do things. I spoke to him after he gave his talk at the Metropolitan Hotel. We've been based in Sydney, also in New York, and we've got a, an interesting take on wearable. It's kind of unbelievable that still after, what, two years in the industry, people don't get that fashion is important, and um, wearable technology actually has to look good. So you sort of, yeah, we're faced with this barrage of products, but no one actually wants to wear them because they don't appeal or don't really project an image that we want to project on the world. They do look pretty awful. Yeah, I, I think um, I think a, a phrase we've coined is people aren't ready to look like a computer. And I think when you see someone in Google Glass or uh, wearing their wristband and things, it's instantly recognisable as a bit of tech. I think when you're pulling on a pair of jeans and it has computers in it, or you're pulling on your shirt or your jacket, like a Navigate jacket, um, and it's got seamless technology integration, and it's it, it enhances your world or makes your life easier as opposed to interrupting or disrupting it, then, um, yeah, that's when we'll be succeeding. So tell me about the Navigatable jacket. So, yeah, the Navigate jacket was a, a harebrained idea with Billy, Billy Whitehouse, my co-founder, and I came up with a sort of a, I guess, an in-between project to show how fashion could play a large role. And we've, we've basically made a jacket which tells you how to get places. So I guess version one, it's, it taps you on the shoulders, so you say where you want to go enter the address like for the Metropolitan Hotel where we are tonight um, punched in the address put it in my pocket and then it told me when to turn left when to turn right I could walk from Surrey Hills uh, without looking at my phone and the great thing is I didn't get hit by a car <laughs> the road accidents these days a lot of people are looking at phones and I just got to enjoy the walk I wasn't interrupted by technology um, and it becomes a background processing thing so I didn't have to think about technology I got to look at the buildings look up look around look at people smile and live, live my life without being interrupted and be in the world yeah be in the world be present and i think that's something that i've um i've learned over the years i guess a stressful life in technology and innovation has taught me that you need to have that balance and you know i've been fishing for years i've been mountain climbing rock climbing and all those years of sort of 
breaking away from technology, I realised that if we just allowed normal people to live their life without technology, uh, we call it like get away from the keyboard, you know, get up, live your life, get outside. Um, technology actually does have a place to uh, a place in that world um, if it enhances our world in a nice way. Well, being able to navigate without having to look at your phone, without having to sort of have that zombie stare down at things, <laughs> that sounds like it'd be really, really just an integrated part of your life. It, it, it is. And that's, I take my Navigate jacket. I took it to South by Southwest. Uh, I took it to San Fran for some conferences there. I'm going to New York next week to, to basically talk about fashion and tech and how fashion is so important. And yeah, I put on my jacket and I don't have to look at my phone again. So that, and that's just like version one. Version two would be um, a jacket which tells me which hidden destinations, you know, where do you, where do you, how do you get to Campbell's apartment, this hidden apartment in New York? How do you get to this underground jazz bar in Paris? And those experiences could be curated by your friends. Uh, it might be curated by a brand. It may be curated by your lover or your wife. And so wearing something like that, which takes you to places and allows you to experience new things, um, it may bring people together. It's like, I'm looking for someone punching my friend's name and your jacket's bringing the two people together quickly. That's amazing. And the jacket isn't the only thing you're developing. Yeah, we just, we just released our product uh, about two weeks ago for Foxtel and CHE Proximity, which is their agency. And we've basically allowed fans of sport to feel the emotions and the sensations of their favourite teams. So wearable experience is all about connecting people, enhancing their lives. So we thought a, a sports angle or connecting people to a traditional game of AFL football was a nice take on wearable tech. So what we've done is if a player's just scored a goal, that elation, that's, that sort of excitement gets transferred through haptic feedback to the wearer um, instantly. So you've got elation, despair, frustration, all of these things are basically transferred real time to the fans um, and we're just going to see where we can take that. So how do you transfer all those feelings? We've basically been developing a language of touch. So we think uh, touch is something that we don't get enough of in this world. I guess uh, we got a bit of a sneak peek in doing wearable, uh, wearable for Durex with the Funderwear campaign. So I guess being pioneers in the touch space, I don't know if you've heard, but Funderwear was like transferring touch to your lover so you controlled their underwear and they controlled yours. And so that's where we started. And I think developing the language of touch is something that we all need more of and connecting you to a sports player. Um, maybe you're watching motorsports. Maybe it's, I mean, we've been talking to Red Bull. If you were to experience what a skydiver felt or a base jumper as he's buzzing the cliff, like how hard, how fast is his heart beating? To see the video as well, like if we can create all of these sensations and you could put yourself in someone else's shoes, I think it, I mean, it's empathy really. How do you <laughs> improve empathy? It's in a world today full of technology. I think it's probably a good thing. And you can network these up together. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. With, with te technology today, networks today, they're so fast, the chips are so fast, the chips are so cheap that you could, you know, basically connect everyone to everyone else um, real time uh, and allow them to, I guess, get a little glimpse into what each other's worlds are. For Google, I think the most interesting thing about Google Glass is, is actually the fact you can see someone, what someone else is seeing real time um, it's not a, a, a selfie. It's, it's, Google Glass is the opposite of a selfie. It's like, look at what other people see yes. and experience what they see. Um, Google Glass owns that, and I think they should be pushing that. I don't know why they're not pushing that more. We're pushing that, what do other people feel? Let, you know, let other people feel that too. Yeah. 
So the Thunderwear and the football, was it a shirt for the football? It was a, it was a fan jersey. So it was a, a branded jersey that you basically put on at the start of the game. It was for a promotion. So everyone that subscribed to Foxtel, um, ironically, Foxtel's message this year was, we'll get you closer to the game. And so when, um, when we started talking to them, it's like, well, yeah, we probably can get you closer to the game. Closer than the TV can get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and the Thunderwear was also for a campaign? Yeah, same thing. Uh, Thunderwear was uh, how do you transfer touch um, and help long-distance relationships. So I think it's, it's what I know. Uh, my background's in uh, working with agencies and there's an enormous market for wearable technology to change the perception of brands and for brands to be seen in new light. And Google Glass is a rebranding exercise for Google. How many people have tried it on? Probably 1% of your audience. How many people think differently because they created it? A lot. And I'd like to, if anyone's listening out there, I'd like to work with insurance companies. I'd like to work with telecom companies. There's all of these companies which are sitting on enormous pools of money. They waste it all on stupid advertising and billboards and posters and stuff. It's like, no, 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 improve people's lives. If we can get 1% of a telco's communications budget or what they'd spend on TV ads and actually go, hey, you know, Optus or Telstra, if you spent 1% of your money to improve the lives of the elderly, I'd rather take that 1% and improve the lives of the elderly than put another campaign on a TV or see another billboard. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much potential. You were talking earlier about ECG readings and other things that you could... Well, you're already looking at heartbeats, Mm. and there must be all sorts of medical potential. Yeah, I mean, the medical, the medical market's huge. I think medical's tough because the, the approval you need to go through to get a, a, a device to market. There's some, there's some devices that maybe sit on the periphery of medical, which I'd like to explore with people, and that would be, like, to be able, you know, instead of going, okay, glass, it's like, okay, grandma, like, to know what grandma's heartbeat is, to know what she might be feeling, just briefly, so you know she's okay. Um, we've got an elderly, po- ageing population, um, they don't have as much contact. They're not on Facebook. They're, you know, they're living more solitary lives. If you could connect with your grandma or you could know, what she, you know how she's feeling at any one time, it might actually sort of reconnect these people which are being sort of left off the digital, digital platforms that are currently being developed. Like, grandma's not going to put on Oculus with the latest news, you know. But grandma might put on a new alert necklace and it's a beautiful necklace that she wears. Um, and so she knows if she's ever in trouble, she can press it and all her family get notified. Or I was talking about someone, a locket, so she could open up the locket and see a photo and it's the latest photo of her grandchildren. But yes, they post it on Facebook, but it's grandma's curated photos that she can then show her friends. There's a new photo posted, it vibrates, and she opens her locket. And you know, her daughter Scarlett is just, you know, won a maths award. And because Scarlett these days is not going to call grandma, she's not going to be able to communicate with her over Facebook. And then there's memory aids for people with Alzheimer's and other memory mm. issues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the, the, we need to be doing a lot more to reintegrate the elderly and the young um, into our sort of into our lives. Um, we've touched on sort of where wearable might, I guess, improve the connections to the elderly, but young people. Um, education, all of these things, it's like we need to basically be teaching our kids to program, teaching them to be makers, basically going back to craft. Like my kids are basically surrounded by all of these 
these tools and these things that they can create. I'd love it if schools were workshops for people to create new stuff. And so where do you reckon people should start if they want to get into making things like this? <laughs> I don't know, a craft movement. movement. It's like you need to get back to using your hands. Um, whether it's sewing, there's different things that people are good at, different skills, you know, it might be we're using lathes, it may be doing soldering, it may be um, doing weaving. Um, if we put down our keyboards, if everyone threw away their keyboard or at least just decided to not use their keyboard for 10 hours a day or when they got home or turned off their TV um, and actually picked up a tool and learnt to use, use tools again, I think the stuff we'd create would be amazing. It's, it's not that... It's not that far gone that we've forgotten. So what's the next project for you? I guess I'd like to create a, a space where people could come and test out those skills. So I don't expect people to go and buy a lathe or, I don't know, buy a machine to do soldering. But if I could create a sheltered workshop um, where kids, adults, retirees um, could come and use the latest tools... Um, and, it, and it can't just be cheesy stuff. Like it can't be like, here's a three D printer, <laughs> print a photo, of, you know, print a model of yourself. Yes. Like it's like the three D printer will be in the back corner. It's like how do you use a lathe? How do you use a CAD CAM machine? How do you use mm. a injection molding machine? How do you use just really, really they're advanced tools, but enable people to make what they imagine. We've we kind of missed it, missed the boat with teaching people to program what they imagine. I still think we'll, we'll figure that out eventually. People, everyone will be programming, but we haven't solved that one. So I think it's funny that we're actually skipping that and going straight on to how to make stuff. Mm. Mm. And if people want to look online for your work, where should they look? Oh, it's pretty easy. Actually, I'd recommend people go to our Instagram and Twitter feed, at uh, WearableX. Easy to find. We're actually on that more than the website. So at WearableX is, has basically been a history of our our life, my, myself and Billy developing wearable tech, our tour of the world and meeting, reading, meeting cool people in the space, fashion designers, brands, Playboy Mansion trips, meeting Hugh and Crystal and stuff. So, yeah, if you get onto um, at Wearable X and, and look there, I think that's probably the best place to get a glimpse of what we're doing. And can people buy any of these products or were they just for the promotions? Uh, at the moment, they've just been for, for promotions. Um, Navigate Jacket, we'd definitely like to get out there. It's it's one of those things we've done. We've done our time building stuff for other people. It's like we want to release on the world our stuff. So yeah, keep an eye out on on the Twitter feed and stuff, and it won't be far off. Terrific. Well, Benoit, thank you very much. Yeah, Love to meet you. Thank you very much for your time. That was Benoit of Wearable Experiments. You can follow him on Twitter at WearableX and find his work online at wearableexperiments.com. You can find upcoming Wearable Sydney events at meetup.com slash wearables dash sydney and from the diffusion mailbag this week i'd like to thank william for sending me lots of helpful suggestions about how i can fund diffusion and for putting his money where his mouth is by making a donation thank you william next up rob paravonian with dial up days for your app. 
or chat You had to find a Usenet feed Special software was needed if you wanted to read it And access was not guaranteed There was always a lag Cause servers would drag So flame wars took so long to blaze If you were an online jerk You had to put in the work Back in the dial-up days Oh, it was aggravating to disable call waiting So you wouldn't get kicked offline And heaven forbid you traveled out of town Where a local access number was impossible to find Then they'd initiate a new software update And the progress bar would make your eyes glaze It took forever to download them with your 56k modem Back in the dial-up days Sometimes you couldn't get through and video barely moved Back in the dial-up days Oh, you can giggle and scoff that was Rob Paravonian with Dial-Up Days. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, standing ovations, gasps of amazement and helpful suggestions to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like Diffusion Science Radio on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Checking production this week was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network and 2HHH in Hornsby, Karingai. Diffusion is syndicated on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station. You can now hear Diffusion on Stitcher, Radio On Demand and On The Go. Download the free app from stitcher.net and please review Diffusion. Ask your local radio station to broadcast Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for more information about this week's show. The show notes every week have all the links, pictures, and videos. For this week's show, there'll be a video of my interview with Ben Moir from my wearable Luxy camera. You support Diffusion by downloading a free book from Audible. Audible will sponsor Diffusion for everyone who signs up to the free 30-day trial and downloads the free book of their choice from audibletrial.com science. Or look for the donate button on diffusionradio.com to contribute to the costs of producing the podcast. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.